0: Amen. Well, it's so good to be here with you today. We love Pastor Frank. We love Lisa, and we're grateful for this church. And today, we're going to dive right into the Bible. So do you have your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Hold your Bible up in the air. Wonderful to see Bibles. Always bring your Bible when you come to church. But today, before we get into the Word, I want to mention three new books. I've written a lot of books. Actually, all together, there's about 50 books that I've now written. And we're just writing books all the time. And I've written a new book called Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes. And the reason I wrote this book is because I don't like the way prophecy teachers teach. Very often they're sensationalist, They scare people with their teaching. And I don't believe God is in the business of scaring people. But God is in the business of informing people. And so I took a very logical look at everything Jesus taught about the signs we'll see just before he comes again. How close really are we to the coming of Jesus? And I put it in a book. And this book is just amazing. And if you'd like to study a real sane, rational approach to the signs we'll see before Jesus comes, then you ought to pick up this book. Then we have another book back there, which is written by Denise, and it's on marriage. And the name of the book is Who Stole Cinderella? The Art of Living Happily Ever After. This is just a tremendous book. You will love this, and it will make a difference in your marriage. And then my newest book is called The Will of God, The Key to Your Success. Many people want to know the will of God. How do I know the will of God? How do I do the will of God? How do I identify the will of God? What happens if I get in the will of God? And the subtitle says, Positioning Yourself to Live in God's Supernatural Power, God's Provision, And God's protection. When you finally get in the place where God has called you to be, you experience power, provision, and protection. Let me tell you, friends, get in the will of God. You'll be so glad you did. And this book will help you identify the will of God for your life. But today, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And in the next service, I'm going to be ministering from John chapter 6. But today, we're going to begin. In John chapter 5, and Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this wonderful time in the Word of God. Holy Spirit, you're the one who wrote this book. And so today we look to you as the great teacher, and we ask you to open the Scriptures to us. And Lord, today we don't want just to hear the Word of God. We want to step into the Word of God and be changed by it. We pray for a revival of the Bible in this nation that people will return to the Scriptures to base their faith upon. And Holy Spirit, today we ask you to do what only you can do. We ask that you would illuminate our minds, that you would open these Scriptures to us. Let your Word burn in our hearts. We ask you this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Today I'm going to read from the King James Version, and we're going to begin in John chapter 5 and verse 1. And the Bible says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these, that is in these five porches, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered. The Bible says they were all waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? This is what we're going to be looking at today. But let's go back to chapter 5 and verse 1 and take this point by point. First of all, the Bible tells us, and after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is geographically higher than the rest of the land, so Jesus literally went up to the city of Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, if you're reading from the King James Version, you'll notice the word market is italicized. That's because the word market does not appear in the Greek. It actually says by the sheep gate, so we know exactly where this was because we know where the sheep gate was. And the Bible says there was a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Well, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's very easy for you to understand this entire scene. The Temple Mount is nearby, and directly behind the Temple Mount is what is today is called the Via Dolorosa. And the Via della Rosa begins on one side of the old city of Jerusalem at the Lion's Gate. That is where Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 8. And if you come in through the Lion's Gate and continue walking toward the temple, you pass on your right side some very, very old buildings. And in the bottom of one of those buildings, in the very, very, very bottom of the building, is a first century house. And that first century house is where Jesus' grandmother was born. Her name was Anna. It's all documented. This was documented in the third century. That is where Jesus' great-grandparents lived. And so the reason Jesus was in this vicinity on this day is probably he was visiting with his great-grandparents who lived right on what is today called the Via Rosa, right near the temple. This is why Jesus was in this area, which, by the way, was not an area that was really open to the public. It was kind of a closed area. But Jesus' family was originally from that area. And because Jesus was in the area, he found himself at the Pool of Bethesda, which is just a few steps away from that location. So the Bible says, now there is, at Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. Even the word pool is important. It is a Greek word, kalambraithra. The word kalambraithra is only used in the New Testament two times. It's used here to describe this pool, and it's also the same word which is used to describe the Pool of Siloam. So if you want to know what this pool looked like originally, you have to go to the Pool of Siloam, which they have discovered in its original first century condition. And the Pool of Siloam is a beautiful, beautiful pool. This is not just a hole that's earthed out of the dirt, It's rather a pool that is covered with marble. I don't know if any of you grew up watching the Beverly Hillbillies, but do you remember what they had in their backyard? They had a cement pond. It was covered with beautiful marble and columns. This was that kind of a place originally. It was very well developed. And, in fact, the Bible says it had five porches. This word porches is the Greek word for a stoa. This is very significant. This tells us everything about this particular pool. This pool originally was a place of very expensive property in the city of Jerusalem. And because the water in this place was so pure, and there were only two natural sources of water in the city of Jerusalem, this was one of them. And because the water was so pure, the intelligentsia, the rich, the educated, the religious leaders of the day decided they would take this piece of land and would develop it for themselves. And because it was very near to the temple, just a few steps away from the temple, when the priests were finished serving in the temple, they could leave the temple ground, walk right behind the temple to the pool of Bethesda. And they would recreate here. They would swim in the water. They would have lunch. I'd say that it really was like the country club of the first century. And if we had been allowed to peek into that place, we would have seen no poor people there, only the rich, only the affluent, only the intelligent, very educated people, were in this place, which later came to be called the Pool of Bethesda. And because the rich wanted to enjoy themselves and wanted to eat in shade, they began to add porches. The word porches that is used here is really the word stoa. The word stoa describes beautiful, elegant columns with terracotta roofs, mosaic floors, frescoes on the wall. This was simply fabulous. But because more and more... Kept coming, they added a second stoa and a third stoa and a fourth stoa, finally a fifth stoa, until this body of water was completely surrounded on every side by five covered porches. This is very important as we continue in this story. But as time proceeded, the water in the bottom of the pool began to dry up. And because the water in the pool stopped flowing, the water became stagnant. No water came in. The water went out. And as you know, when you're in a place where there are very hot temperatures and there are stagnant water, the water becomes pretty disgusting. And over a period of time, it became like dead water. The water flowed in, the water flowed out. And the water became so disgusting and the stench was so terrible from what was growing in the water that the intelligentsia in Jerusalem said, this is no longer fitting for us and little by little, they begin to abandon this place. And by the time that we come to John chapter 5, it is completely dilapidated. What was once a very luxurious place is now fallen into ruin. The terracotta roofs are breaking and falling off of the porches, the mosaics are beginning to break up. And rather than be occupied by the rich and the affluent, now these porches are filled with sick people. That is what we find when we come to John chapter 5. And it is the sick people that have renamed this place. And the sick people have called it Bethesda, which means the house of mercy, or it could be translated the house of grace, or the house where favor is poured out. And the sick people called it Bethesda, the house of mercy, the house of grace, the house of favor, because miraculous things supernaturally took place in this pool. And they all came here because they believed in this place God's mercy would be poured out upon them. And it was the sick people themselves who nicknamed it Bethesda, the place where God's mercy is poured out. All of that is the background to verse 2. Then we come to verse 3. And the Bible says, in these, that is in these five covered porches, lay a great multitude of impotent folk. The word lay is the Greek word kamai. The Greek word kamai means to be piled one on top of the other, which means if you had been allowed to peek into this place on the day that Jesus walked into it, sick people were so thickly populated in this place, they were nearly laying on top of each other. This word kamai nearly describes like sardines in a can. Sick people piled on top of sick people, hardly able to move because so many of them were laying in this place. And the Bible even describes it as a great multitude. Well, in Greek, the word multitude is the word oklos. The word oklos describes a great, great multitude. That word by itself is sufficient. But when you read this in the Greek text, it adds the word "polus." The word polos magnifies the word oklos, which means this wasn't just a multitude. This was a massive, massive multitude. It was unthinkable that this many people could be put into this place. And then the Holy Spirit tells us what category of people were in this place. The King James Version calls them impotent folk, which is a summary. And then the Holy Spirit specifically describes who is the impotent folk. First of all, he says impotent folk. That word impotent is the Greek word asthenios. This word impotent, the Greek word asthenios, describes those that are physically frail and financially broke. Well, of course, if you're sick, you probably also don't have money. So these people are down in their bodies. They're suffering economically. And then the Holy Spirit describes them as being blind, halt, and withered. The word blind is a Greek word, tuflos. It describes those that are blind or those whose eyes have been gouged out or those who do not have eyes to see. So these are not people who just need glasses. These are people who don't even have eyes to see. They're blind. Then the Bible says the halt, the word halt, is a Greek word which describes those that are maimed. They have physically lost some limb of their body. They're without a leg. They're without an arm. They're without a hand. Their fingers are missing. In some way, they have been maimed. And then finally, the Bible says the withered, the word withered is the Greek word paralupkos. It is the word for the paralyzed. So when we talk about the pool of Bethesda, we're not talking about people with minor ailments. These are people who have no eyes to see, people who are missing limbs, those that are paralyzed. These are the outcasts of society. There is no medical help for the people that are in this place. And the Bible says they were all waiting for the moving of the water. But there's a great problem with this because there is no movement of water at the Pool of Bethesda. No water flows in, no water flows out. This is dead water This is stagnant water, so there is no moving of the water. Someone might say, well, maybe it was the movement of the wind, but even the wind could not move this water because of the five colored colonnades which surrounded the ports. It restricted the movement of wind, so even wind could not move this water. But yet the people are there, and they're all waiting. And in fact, the word waiting describes a great earnest expectation. And the picture is painted. Of all of these sick people laying on their sides in one direction, their eyes fixated on the water, they're waiting with great earnest expectation for the moving of the water. All of the sick people are there for one reason. In a place which they have nicknamed the house of mercy, this is where God's mercy occasionally is poured out, where people experience grace and supernatural favor. Something happens And apparently it happens when the water supernaturally begins to move. And verse 4 tells us, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. The word troubled is a Greek word which means to fiercely, fiercely... Agitate. This word does not describe the normal movement of water like the wind would move or a normal ripple of water. But in fact, it describes a circular movement of water similar to when you pull the plug out of the bottom of your bathtub and it looks like a tornado is in the bottom of your pool as the water goes out. That is how the water began to move. There was nothing natural about this. Water naturally does not move like this. And in fact, this word trouble describes such a fierce movement of water that when the water would begin to move in a circular fashion, it would begin to slush out of the side of the pool. This was a very amazing moment, and there was no natural explanation for this except that people believed that an angel had descended into the water. And the verse continued to say, Whosoever then first, after the stirring of the water stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. The word whole is a Greek word which really means he got his life back. And by the way, that's what happens when Jesus restores your health to you. You get your life back again. And the Bible tells us in verse three, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. When the Bible says which had, The word had is a form of the Greek word echo, which means to hold, to possess, or to be in the grip of something. This man literally was in the grip of an infirmity. He began as being a sick man, but now the sickness had him. This infirmity had become his identity. He was in the grip of his infirmity. And verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Well, in verse 6, when the Bible says Jesus saw him lie, this is very unusual because everybody was lying in this place. No one was standing. The people in this place were blind. They had no eyes to see. They were maimed. Limbs were missing. They were paralyzed. Everyone was lying. But when Jesus saw this man, he saw something different about this man. And what is amazing to me is there's no record that Jesus spoke to anyone else that day in the pool of Bethesda. It seems Jesus stepped over one sick person and stepped over another sick person and stepped over another sick person as he made his way toward this one man. And when Jesus saw this man, he saw that he was lying. The man wasn't just physically lying, but Jesus could see this man inwardly was lying down. Something in him had given up. You know, physical posture reveals a lot about a person's spiritual condition. I learned this when my wife and I and our sons first moved to the Soviet Union nearly 30 years ago. Can you believe it's nearly been 30 years we've been living in the Soviet Union? When we first came into the Soviet Union, it was a time of total devastation. The economy was collapsed. It was worse than any fiction writer could ever write. It is beyond the ability to describe. People wore gray clothing, military colors, gray, brown, black, darkness hung everywhere in the air. And particularly back in those days, Denise and I would note the numbers of people who would walk hunched over as they walked on the street, all bent over. Their physical posture was a reflection of their spiritual condition. Today, when you go to that part of the world, people are standing upright. In fact, you hardly see anyone that is hunched over. But back in those days when there was no hope, their bodies followed their spiritual condition. And I want to tell you that when you're ministering with people and you're helping people, always pay attention to their spiritual condition. Conditioned by observing their stature because their stature is usually a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And when Jesus saw this man lying, Jesus observed that he wasn't just physically lying down, but spiritually, inwardly, this man was lying down. In fact, when the Bible says Jesus saw, the word saw means to take a scrutinizing look. Jesus always looks deeper than what can be seen on the outward man. And Jesus inwardly saw and diagnosed that this man had given up hope. He was lying down. In fact, the Bible says Jesus knew that he had been a long time in that case. Long time is a Greek word, kroinoi. It's where we get the word for a chronic condition. Well, we know from the previous verse, this man had been in the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years. The fact that he was in the Pool of Bethesda already tells us something about this man. This man came here because he had faith. This man left the comfort of his home probably against the advice of his family. Can you imagine what his family thought when he said he was going to locate himself to the pool of Bethesda, to that stinking, stagnant body of water filled with sick people. This is not where they would want their relative to go, but yet he went there probably against their will because it was Bethesda, it was the house of mercy, it was a place where miraculous events took place, and he went there believing that he would be the next to receive a supernatural touch. He came into the place in faith. But now 38 years have passed. And in 38 years, he has seen so many miracles. He could write a book called The Miracles of Bethesda. He could document all the things that have happened in that place. But he has not received The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, hope deferred does what? It makes the heart sad. And though this man had seen other people touch, this man has not been touched. 38 years have passed and inwardly he has begun to give up and he is laying down on the inside. And Jesus saw him and chronoids, what the Greek says, knew this was a very chronic condition. Jesus knew he had been a long time in that case. Jesus saith unto him. Wilt thou be made whole? The word whole is the Greek word hugies It's where we get the word for health. But in this particular case, it really means, would you like to have your life back again? Well, that's a very unusual question to ask a man that's been there for 38 years waiting for a miracle. Why would Jesus ask this man that question? Well, it's a pretty important question. Because this man has not had a job for 38 years. For 38 years, someone else has fed him. For 38 years, this man has been living on a social program. For 38 years, this man has lived at the goodwill and the charity of other people that have taken care of him. For 38 years, This man has not got up, he's not walked, he's not done anything outside the pool of Bethesda. And not only that, in 38 years, the only relationships he has in his life are with other people that are sick. Sickness is his environment. Sickness is his identity. Sickness is the way that he thinks. When he awakens every morning, he talks to his neighbors. How do you feel? How do you feel? All they talk about is their sickness, their affliction. It is their conversation. It is their way of thinking. It is their identity. Everything they think about themselves, they think of themselves as sick people. And if Jesus restores this man's health, It's going to be more than simply a matter of feeling good. This man's going to have to leave the Pool of Bethesda. When he leaves the Pool of Bethesda, he's going to have to think differently. He can't leave the Pool of Bethesda and continue to think like the sick person he has been for 38 years. He's going to have to find new friends. He may have to leave his sick friends behind. And even though sickness is terrible, it's an environment that he has learned to function in. He's adapted to that way of life. He's going to have to change the way he thinks. Not only that, this man's going to have to get a job. He cannot continue to live on social programs and be a healthy man. And for him to get a job, he may have to go to school because in 38 years, technology has changed. So Jesus says to him, Are you absolutely certain that you want your life back? You know, I'll tell you, and you already know, the easiest thing in the world is to say you want to change. But when it comes to the reality of changing, the price connected with change is so severe, some people rationalize, well, my situation is not the best, but to change is going to require so much of me, and they kind of rationalize that it's okay for them just to stay where they are. It's easy to say you want to change until you come face-to-face with what change is going to mean in your life. It's like people who pray. They say, oh, God, deliver me. God, change my health. God, help me lose weight. Lord, I've got so many health problems connected to my obesity. Lord, I'm sick because of me. Help me to change. That is so easy to pray. But the real test is when they walk past the refrigerator. And you're confronted with the reality of change, what change really means. Any pastor who counsels people can tell you, everybody says they want to change, but very few people really change because of the price that is attached to change. And when Jesus saw this man and knew that he had been a long time in that case, 38 years in the grip of his infirmity, Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? The Greek literally means, do you really want me to give your life back to you? And notice how the man answered Jesus in verse 7. The impotent man answered him and said, in Greek, it says the impotent man answered, saying, saying. Pastor Frank, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody with a problem And you couldn't quite address the problem because they wouldn't quit talking about their problem. They just ramble and ramble and ramble and ramble. That's what this man did. Jesus asked a simple question. Do you really want to change? Do you really want your life back again? And the man answering is what the Greek says, which meant he opened his mouth and just started talking and talking and talking and talking, describing how his problem began, why he hasn't been able to change, why things haven't changed, why he can't get well. Jesus didn't ask for all this scenario. He just asked a simple question, do you really want to change? And the man answering him said, sir, well, this word, sir, is very important because in Greek it is the word kurie, which is the direct form of the word kurios, which is the word Lord, which means the man recognized the Lordship and the authority of Jesus in this moment. If you're going to change, you have to recognize the authority of Jesus and do whatever Jesus tells you to do, or you will never see change. When the man said, sir, the Greek literally says, Lord, a direct command, Lord. Then he says, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. The Greek is so pathetic. The word put is a Greek word bottle, which means to hurl. A literal translation is, Lord, when the water is troubled, I have no one to pick me up and throw me over everybody else's heads into the water. But while I'm coming, in Greek it means while I'm dragging my body, trying so hard to get to the edge of the water and into the pool, plop, somebody is in right before me. And Lord, I've been trying for 38 years. And the man answering and answering and answering, going on and on and on. And Jesus did what I've had to do so many times. Just interrupt the confusion. Just interrupt the confusion. Jesus abruptly answered him. And said unto him, rise. Take up your bed. And walk. And the Greek is so strong. It is so abrupt. Jesus said unto him abruptly, rise. It was a command. He actually interrupted the man while he was speaking. Rise, take up your bed, walk. Jesus didn't say, if you can, if you'd like to, he just commanded him. Now imagine what the other sick people may have thought about this. Someone standing by may have said, How dare he talk to that sick man like that? What do you mean tell him to rise? Can he not see that he is a paralyzed man? What do you mean pick up your bed and walk? What a horrible, unkind thing to say to a man whose legs do not work. Pick up your bed. What in the world? Who is this man and why is he talking this way to this sick man? But Jesus spoke with an authoritative word, and the man had already called him Lord, which meant the man was going to do whatever Jesus said to do. And verse 9 says, and immediately, the Greek word says, eathos, without pause, without a break, instantaneously, the man was made, what? Whole. The Greek says the man got his life back. That's a literal translation. In one second, he got his life back. And took up his bed and walked. The word walked is the Greek word peripateo, which means begin to walk around. You could literally translate the man got moving. The man got moving. And the same day was the Sabbath. Wow. That's very important. The next verse tells you why it's important. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured... To the man who got his life back, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, on the Sabbath, according to law, you cannot work. Picking up a bed is the equivalent of working. In fact, even today in Israel, if you're ever there on the Sabbath, and you're staying in a tall hotel, make sure you don't get in the Sabbath elevator. Because the Jews believe it's wrong to push a button on the Sabbath because that fires electricity and that is work. And pushing the button is more energy than you're supposed to exert on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day elevator automatically stops on every floor going up and going down. You do not want to be on that elevator. Not only that, on the Sabbath day there's only a certain distance you can walk. It is called a Sabbath day's walk. Well, when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, first of all, that is a violation of Sabbath day law. This man should not be picking up his bed on the Sabbath day. This is the Sabbath day when you cannot work. Then the man, God moving, the Greek word peripatos, which means he's walking around, walking around, walking around. He's breaking another Sabbath day law. This is a violation. He's walking more than is permitted to walk on the Sabbath day. And that is why the Jews therefore said unto him that got his life back, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Or it is the equivalent of saying, get back on that bed. This is not a good day for you to change. A miraculous event had taken place. A man's life had been changed. And those with religious spirits couldn't accept it and couldn't rejoice in it because it violated their tradition. And I want to tell you that if God does a work in your life, don't expect that everybody will be happy when you begin to change. When you begin to break away from an old mentality, when you begin to break away from old friends, when you may have to break away from family, there will be people who say, who in the world do you think you are to be different than us? This is not right. Who do you think you are? Have you forgotten that you're one of us? Get back over here and get back on that bed. And understand also, you don't have to be religious to have a religious spirit. A religious spirit is a spirit that is opposed to any kind of change that threatens you and it wants to put people back into bondage. This was a religious spirit that was operating through these people. And not only that, what was nearby? The temple. The temple was nearby. Where do you suppose this man went walking, carrying his bed? You're going to find out later Jesus found him in the temple. He picked up his bed and walked into the most religious place of all religious places, violating the walking rule, violating the work rule, carrying his bed. And when he came walking into the temple property... Those with religious spirits began gasping and screaming, what is he doing? This man is carrying his bed. Look how much he's walking. Tell that man to lay it down and get back on that mat. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them and said, he that made me whole. The Greek says, the one who gave my life back to me. The same sudden to me. Take up your bed and walk. The Greek literally means pick up your bed and get moving. And friend, I want to tell you when Jesus does a work in your life, he's going to tell you to get moving. He wants you to pick it up. He wants you to move. The thing that you have laid upon as your crutch, he wants you to pick it up, take mastery over it. Verse 12, then asked they him, what man is that which said unto you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 13, and he that was healed, interesting, Pastor Frank, this word healed is different. This is the Greek word, Ieomai. This is a very different word. The other word means to get your health back, to get your life back. The word Ieomai, which is used here, the man that was healed, that word healed is a word which means to be progressively made better. You could even translate to the man that was cured. And the Greek means the longer the man walked, the stronger he was getting. And this is really true when God touches your life. God will initially touch you, but the longer you walk in your healing, the stronger you get, and the stronger you get, and the stronger you get. You've got to keep walking in what God does in your life. And as this man walked, he was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. He was being cured as he walked. And he that was healed, my he that was cured, didn't know who it was. He didn't even know who Jesus was. It was a stranger who just walked into the pool of Bethesda and gave him a command. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him where? Where? In the temple. In the temple, he's carrying his bed. In the temple, he's walking too much. In the temple, Jesus found him. And in fact, the word found is the Greek word, "eurisko." This is also very important because it gives us insight into Jesus. The word "eurisko" is the same Greek word for a scientific investigation, a decision that I'm going to search and search and search until I find what I'm looking for. Jesus was determined. He was not going to leave until he found this man and followed up with this man that had been here. There is no one better at follow-up than Jesus. He doesn't just save you and leave you, baptize you in the Spirit, leave you, heal you, leave you. Jesus follows up. And here we find Jesus, the Greek word eurisko, which literally means like an investigator. Jesus is working through the crowd saying, find me that man. Where is that man that walked in the pool of Bethesda? Where did he go? Somebody find me that man. Jesus, like an investigator, scientifically searching and searching and searching, the Greek word eurisko, until finally he found him. By the way, this word found, the Greek word eurisko, is also where we get the word eureka. It was a eureka moment. Jesus was elated when he finally found the man. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. <laughs> that word behold is a Greek word "edo," almost impossible to translate in the English language, and that's why every time it's used in the King James Version, they always translate it as behold, every time. But the word really means, wow, that's a better translation. And wow, you are made whole. It's the very same word that Jesus used when he said to the disciples, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, behold behold. I'm going to send the promise of my father upon you. That word behold means, wow, am I ever going to send something amazing from my father upon you. When Jesus said to the disciples, behold, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the work of the enemy. It's the same Greek word. Jesus was so excited and impressed with what he was about to say that Jesus himself said, wow, it is amazing what I'm about to give you. Behold, wow, do I ever give you power and authority. It always carries the sense of amazement. And now when Jesus sees this man whose life has been restored to him, how does Jesus respond? Jesus, the miracle worker, looks at him, and the Greek literally means Jesus said, Wow. Wow. How many of you want Jesus to look at you and say, Wow, that's amazing? Even Jesus was impressed. Wow, thou art made whole. Your life has been given back to you. And then Jesus makes the statement Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. It's very important. Basically, tells us that something in his life may have initially opened the door for this affliction. There are door openers. Your faith can open the door to the power of God. Or a wrong action, as I taught in last night's service, can create an access point that the enemy enters into your life. Jesus said the same thing to the man who he delivered from 6,000 demons in the country of Gadara. He said to the same man... Go away, sin no more, lest something worse come to you. Something had originally opened a door for the sickness to come. And now Jesus literally said to the man, hey, your life has been given back to you again. Don't go back and did what you did at the beginning that started this whole thing. Close every door, seal every crack. Make sure you don't go back to repeat what you did in the beginning. Because if you do it again, the door will be opened again. This happens many times in people's lives. God touches people. God is so amazing. You know, the church is Bethesda. We are a house of mercy. God's grace is poured out here. His favor is poured out here. The miraculous is poured out here. God's grace is just poured out, poured out, poured out. God miraculously touches people. He does his part. And they go home and make no changes in their life. And the sickness comes back and they said, well, I lost my healing. No, you opened the door for the same thing to happen again. You've got to do more than just receive a miraculous touch. I really love what we read about Jesus healing the daughter of Jairus. Over in Mark chapter 5. He raised her from the dead. He raised her from the dead. And then commanded them. The assumption should be given to her to eat. There's a supernatural side and there is a natural side. God will do this supernatural work, but you've got to follow it up and do the right stuff naturally if you're going to keep what he has done in your life. And so many people have received a miraculous touch, but they didn't follow up and do the stuff to keep it. And Jesus said, Behold, wow, this is amazing. What a shining example of mercy and grace. You are made whole. Your life has been restored to you. Now sin no more. The word sin in this case means stop making the mistakes you made previously. Lest a worse thing come unto you. And the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus that made him whole. The Greek says it was Jesus who gave my life back to me. And that's what Jesus wants to do for everybody. He wants to give their life back to them. If you've been destroyed emotionally, he wants to give his life back, your life back to you. If you've been destroyed physically, he wants to give your life back to you. If your relationships have been shattered, he wants to give your life back to you. Jesus is in the business of giving life back to us. The truth is, most of us lying on our side, say, oh, Jesus, I want to change. Oh, God, I want to change. And Jesus asked the same question that he's been asking for 2,000 years. Are you really sure you want to change? Do you understand what change means? Are you sure You want to get up and walk out of this place? Do you realize the sweeping changes it's going to bring into your life if I really do what you're asking me to do? But here's what I love, and this is where I'm going to close. The man gave Jesus a very confused answer. But Jesus could see the man's heart. Have you ever prayed nonsense and hoped that God could see your heart? God sees your heart even when you're rambling and saying a bunch of nonsense. And if your heart has a desire to change, courier, the Lord, he is willing and ready to tell you right now in this very moment, your day has come. Pick up that bed, get moving. Your day of deliverance has come. And that was my message for you this morning. This is the word of the Lord to you.